This is Town Square Sunday On Demand. And now, 1420 WBSM's Jim Phillips. Good morning and welcome to Town Square Sunday. I'm your host, Jim Phillips. Today, we're talking about education with New Bedford's Interim Superintendent, Andrew O'Leary. Welcome, Mr. O'Leary, and congratulations. Good morning, Jim. Thank you. Really excited to be here. You have moved up from the financial director, a chief financial person for the school department to the top administrator. I'm sure that every educator who is in administration uh, gravitates or thinks about gravitating to leadership. Uh, but these positions uh, come with more than their share of challenges. Uh, I think you would agree. Yeah, absolutely. I've been very fortunate most, if not all, of my education careers in New Bedford. So the district has been very good to me, given me unbelievable opportunities. So anything I can do to serve the district, I'm eager to do. Well, uh, very good. Now, schools in New Bedford are up and running, as we all know. I'm sure there's a lot of optimism at the start of the school year. Um, but New Bedford schools, like schools in other gateway cities, continue to face challenges with low student achievement, unfortunately. We know the challenges. There are many students in the community uh, where English is the second language. Uh, many uh, children who have come into the district as immigrants, uh, um, uh, newly to uh, students that are new to this country. Um, the question is, how do we turn it around? And I'm not suggesting you can turn it around in a week or a year. It takes time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we so we did launch um, the school year very successfully, very excited. You know, there's a lot of logistics to the school year. There's a lot of um, hard work going into hiring and staffing classrooms, making sure everything launched. And everything launched really, really well. So very excited. And there's very positive buzz in the district. Now we get into coming up to October and the state, as you mentioned, releases um, accountability data and achievement data from last year. And so we've really been digging into that over the past um, couple weeks. Mm -hmm. And we will be digging into it over the next couple of weeks and setting our plans for the year. Because you're absolutely right. We talk about learning loss coming out of the pandemic. We talk about a new generation of students. We talk about meeting the needs of multilingual learners. That's all on the table for the year ahead. And, and we have work to do. I'm glad you mentioned the pandemic because that's one of the things I want to talk to you about. It's been reported, there's been reports in the Globe, for instance, that many Massachusetts school children have yet to recover from being out of school during the pandemic home learning. Uh, there's some, I'm sure there's some parents who think it's probably a pretty good, that was a pretty good idea, but I don't know. Do you believe that? There's no, so many kids uh, No, I think the remote learning, I think our district did a very good job in terms of ensuring as many students as possible for as frequent as possible during the pandemic were, were in school, and we did a good job with that. But this data that we're seeing shows that there was learning loss. Now, you're comparing two separate um, cohorts of students. If you look at the third grade achievement scores in 2019, which is a good place to look, and now you look in 2022 and um, uh, 2023 test administration, then you can see that there's a difference and there's a gap. And that's a good place to start. Now, you can't make a snap judgment as to why that's happening, but it's very clear that less students are achieving at those higher levels, and we have to unpack the reasons for that. So we need, we're, we're, we need to get back to business and other models of learning um, haven't necessarily panned out as a way to do that. So in 2019, you look at the third grade scores in 
2023, you look at the seventh grade scores? No, you would look at the same, you would look at the same um, uh, grade level as a starting point. You could certainly track students as well uh, as they're progressing. Mm -hmm. And we have models called a growth percentile and other things like that, that show how students are work are achieving and growing compared to their peers. But let's just look at um, the same grade over time. And if we see less, when we see a 10, let's say a 10.0% gap, you would have, let's say 20% of students achieving at grade level now or meeting or exceeding expectations for their grade level. Whereas you would have seen, let's say 30, 35%. So if we were making progress, in 2019, we're saying, okay, we have 30, 35%. We're getting closer to the state average or at some schools exceeding it in 2019. That would have told us we're making progress on achievement. Now we're seeing, um, even though we might be at the, the state is also seeing losses, that's not where we want to be for achievement, 20% of students meeting or exceeding targets. Right. So is that what it is in the third grade? Those, those numbers? Yeah, that, numbers? That's, it's about a 10%. Overall, I think the, the, the quick takeaway is about a 10% drop in, in students meeting or exceeding expectations. And that's in MCAS? Correct. All right. Um, in ELA and, and the, mathematics. The, again, there's no quick answer. You, you, this past week you came out with a plan, which we'll talk about. Um, so let's talk for a moment about uh, uh, many, the youngsters who are still struggling with MCAS, and there are seemingly more now, perhaps because of that learning gap. Are the numbers as bad as some make them out to be? Well, the numbers are what they are. I think you you did you saw an article in the Boston Globe this week that says we need you know a Manhattan Project or a, a nuclear yeah. option. They called it and these kind of metaphors. I think those. So you do see a lot of external advocacy saying, well, we need aggressive acceleration to catch students up. But I think our charge really is to build strong systems that are going to stand the test of time. There's, I'm, I'm not necessarily of the mindset that they're extra aggressive immediate acceleration to produce test score outcomes is the way to go. We want to ensure that we have a highly trained, highly credentialed, well-developed teacher workforce that's going to stay with us, that are coming out of places like Bridgewater now, that are going into classrooms for the first time, they're going to stay with us for five years, 10 years and beyond. Those teachers are supported, that principals are able to lead their building and focus on instruction and go into classrooms and support staff. So it's really more about building a strong system because there are other things going on in education, such as uh, a workforce and folks coming into teaching, such as forecasting a stable budget for the years ahead, working on our buildings, all of that. But we're not taking our eye off the achievement ball, but we know that all of these systems, that's how you are able to build sustainable achievement rather than just accelerating in the short term. So I want to next focus a little bit on some pockets of success. Now, I know in the past, like in 2019, you had some schools, uh, an elementary school, I can't, I don't know which one it was, but you had some schools that uh, did pretty well. Yes. How about in 23? Yeah, we still see that. We do have schools that, that can serve as models of success. We talk a lot about the Congdon School, the Congdon Elementary School that attained a blue ribbon status. Um, in 2019, and we have seen progress at other schools that are Taylor School as well. And but I think what we do see in all schools is um, what we would label green shoots or um, 
elements of progress. And so the key for us is, again, we are very well versed in data and achievement data and understanding the system. The key for us is, let's say, as central office in going through that data to, say, to form a hypothesis. Why are we seeing progress here? What contributed to that progress? And how do we move that in other places? Because every school is its own community, has its own staff, and we want to develop those replicable plans. But there are certainly uh, models of progress within our district. Okay, so uh, I've heard other superintendents say the same thing. We're going to take what was done at, let's use as an, as an example, Congdon, and put it in other places. Is that has that happened? It's 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 not as easy. It's not as easy as that, and because you do see that a lot in education. Well, this school in Texas or this charter school did really well. Just replicate that. But really, and again, you know, in my experience being in the district for um, close on 20 years, and um, we've seen that attempt to just simply transplant some basic strategies. It's really about um, a whole building culture and a building system. And I keep going back to the staff because that's where we spend, you know, 85% or 80% plus of our budget is on staff. It comes down to teachers. Are teachers um, well-supported? Are they well-trained? Are they given opportunities to grow? Are they able to form a team? I think sometimes when you have this transplant of strategies, it's like, well, let's turn it around, let's turn it over, let's do something dramatic. And I think that plays rather well in the public sphere. But in my experience, that doesn't help you build out um, a true culture of achievement and support. You're listening to Town Square Sunday. I'm Jim Phillips. My guest is Interim New Bedford Superintendent Andrew O'Leary. Mr. O'Leary, retaining teachers in places like New Bedford, I imagine all Gateway City mm-hmm. uh, uh, communities, uh, it, it's, it, it's a challenge because obviously um, teaching in an urban environment can be a challenge and mm-hmm. difficult in some cases. Um, so how do you how are we doing with retaining teachers? Yeah, you last you, year to this year. Let's start you've heard that. me refer to that a, a few times now because again, that's you know that's where the money goes. That's what happens in the classroom. Uh, the relationship, the most powerful aspect of education, is the relationship between a teacher, student, and family. And if that if that relationship is strong, grade to grade, then that student will stretch and exceed for that teacher and that teacher will support. So I'm a big believer in having long-term support for staff, having staff here for the long haul. And that's exactly what I've seen over the years in New Bedford. Now, let, but if we look at it across the country and across Massachusetts, we may have a big uh, teacher pipeline problem. And that gets even gets into the college debt problem where Folks are wondering as they're leaving high school or are wondering where they will go to college. Will they go into the teaching profession? Are those teaching co- teaching colleges or colleges that offer education programs, are they doing a good job preparing folks? I think Bridgewater State University does a fantastic job, and they're the standout. So we do see folks coming from Bridgewater. But as you mentioned, sometimes you can't learn everything in college as uh, that gets you ready for the classroom. That's true. So you do see... you. In an ordinary decade, you would see teacher attrition after within that five-year window. Now I think even that's accelerated. So it is a huge concern, and I think it's important for us to have teachers who are well-paid, have a strong contract, have teachers who are well-supported, and we have a good relationship with the New Bedford Educators Association. We have great programs that help um, educators move from paraprofessional to teacher. We have what's called a teacher induction program. So I think that whole culture before where you can turn over staff or you can fire your way to success, that's um, given way now to a model where we want to keep staff and support them. 
How many vacancies did you have to start the year? I think we had um, just under uh, 200 vacancies, and we've been working to close that gap and fill that gap as well. But um, that's another thing we're monitoring very closely, and we do monitor that monthly with the school committee. Tough job because kids uh, may not want to invest in a substitute teacher. That's that's absolutely. And then you know we do have we 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 are aggressive in terms of recruiting building-based substitute teachers, and we have a highest rate there. We have so overall, it's important for us that New Bedford Schools is is an attractive place to work. We just settled, and you you may recall we settled a paraprofessional paraeducator contract. We settled our teacher contract, and I would hope it's known that those are strong contracts, that you can attain um, a decent salary and you can move up the salary scale very, um, very well over a number of years if you stick with New Bedford. So, Mr. O'Leary, the, the MCAS scores have been made public. Uh, your office did release a statement how you plan to address some of these things. Uh, give us a couple of points, I mean, uh, on how we're going to begin to turn this around. Yeah, and well, it you know, there's a lot of um, concern about MCAS in the broader public and that it narrows the curriculum, but we've been very clear that we, we take MCAS results very seriously. It is a measure of achievement that we want because it's consistent across districts, and so, but we, and so fr- launching from that, we want to have an internal dialogue. And so if you think of how we're set up, we have a school committee and we want to discuss um, these results and our plans at school committee. We want to discuss them internally at central office. We want schools to discuss them. And then write down, we want to see evidence of how teaching practice is linked to the standards that are assessed on MCAS. That's not narrowing the curriculum, but that's understanding that standards exist. And standards exist in New Bedford, in Dartmouth, and throughout the state. And we, we are not going to shy away from um, increasing levels of achievement. In a statement that you put out this week, um, there was a phrase that attendance matters. Absolutely. And uh, there's still too many students not showing up. Yeah, I think what happened with the pandemic, it's no surprise to anyone, it kind of broke uh, a cycle. It broke a lot of cycle for a lot of us, right? I think even down to things like dress codes, we all started dressing down a little bit. But it also broke the cycle of attendance for us. And I think that culture of attendance... We saw that at preschool and kindergarten level, and we certainly saw it at the high school level as well. So while um, attendance has approved by some leaps, those leaps are, are, are across chasms they are in multiple districts. So we're very concerned about attendance, and we have uh, multiple student support staff and school administrators who are working on that and attend it right down to attendance officers. And so we need everybody's help in that. I mean, it's always, it's always a... Um, a community mission school attendance, but more so now than ever. I know this is easy for me to say, standing here long after my kids have uh, gone to school and left school, uh, but it's really the family's responsibility, isn't it, to get kids in school? Yeah, I think that, that's one of the biggest ways that parents and caregivers and families can help us. And, um, you know, I have, I have two uh, New Bedford high schoolers at home as well, and and you know we we've seen reports and we've done some um, internal work on it that teenagers are more inclined to sleep in in the morning and their bodies are set up for that. Unfortunately, the the districts are not set up to accommodate that, so we need folks up and out of bed and in school, and we need them motivated to show up. And we we are thinking about strategies that 
make it more, make students more inclined to come. My own uh, kids are motivated by athletics um, and motivated by uh, some of their classes than others. But either way, you're absolutely right. It's everybody's job to ensure that attendance improves. Should we start school later? I think, you know, coming from uh, uh, the operational side of, of school districts, that's a huge logistic lift. So you will see the theory is, and it's a very sound theory, that, that times don't work for teens. I get that. But right now, logistically, um, it's, it's a huge shift that, that I don't see it on the horizon that that will work right now. Are you a candidate for the permanent job of superintendent, Mr. O'Leary? So I've been with the district um, for about uh, close on 20 years, and the district's been very good to me, and, and um, I, love, I love working for New Bedford Schools, and um, my plan is to continue working for New Bedford Schools, so in any capacity. All right, so there's no yes or no there. Oh, I, I, would, love, I would love the job, absolutely. Okay. Um, I want to make it clear that... Uh, there are many students at New Bedford High School putting their best foot forward every day. Some high achievers as well. Uh, New Bedford High graduates are moving on to attend uh, some of them now, not all, but some, some of the top colleges in the United States. That shouldn't be forgotten. Uh, New Bedford High School is equipped and ready to assist all students. You have a remarkable array of uh, high technology there. They're ready to work with kids. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So if you think about New Bedford High School with 3,000 students, and we've seen enrollment dips, which is another crisis in Massachusetts, enrollment crisis, New Bedford High has been able to sustain its enrollment, and so we have 3,000 students that we serve annually at New Bedford High. That alone is a remarkable achievement. That alone shows that New Bedford High is a remarkable institution and community. And that's one thing as a parent of New Bedford High students that I've noticed. It's a true community. I think in other cases, as the layperson, we look at schools and say, well, what, is, what, what are the, um, the simple basic metrics? Can you define your mission narrowly? And some schools have that privilege. New Bedford High is a very broad mission. We've talked a lot about student achievement. That's important. But it's most important that we build a community for students and we can serve multiple needs, a comprehensive high school with something for every student. I would like to thank uh, Interim Superintendent Andrew O'Leary for coming in today, speaking with us. Uh, this is the start of the school year, and we wish you well, sir. Thank you. I greatly appreciate it. Andrew O'Leary, my guest uh, in this segment, Town Square Sunday, will return in just a moment.